1: I am your host, Akilah C. Thompson. Thank you for tuning in to the Keep It a Beauty show. If this is your first time listening to the show, well, welcome. So glad that you finally have decided to join us. Tonight is definitely going to be a great show as usual. You can catch up on all of our previous shows if you've had some amazing shows these past couple of weeks by going to iHeartRadio.com and you can search Keeping It a Beauty and find our page with all of our Archives. Every Monday, we're here at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on W4CY Radio, where we aim to inspire you to elevate your dreams, your love, and your life. So we had a great dialogue the last few weeks talking to men about recent events impacting the Black community. And tonight, we will get the female perspective from a distinguished panel of women in law. Before I bring our panel on, I want to remind you, um, and those of you that might be hearing about it for the first time, about our conversation. Confidence is Queen Back to School Girls Summit coming up this Saturday at Georgia State University, sponsored by Investment Management Enterprises. I'm so excited. I can't believe how quickly the time has gone by that it's actually really time to um, see all of our hard work actually um, you know, really all come to fruition. So we're going to have the IME CEO Twyla Garrett there. And one of the things I always try to tell the girls in the program is to talk like a boss in, in, in helping them um, get to their, uh, improve their communication skills. So to have a CEO and the house and really be able to uh, show them how, how they should be Articulating themselves and, and, and ultimately uh, Displaying their confidence Alongside we'll have Raquel Smith Who's a celebrity stylist, one of Beyonce's Stylists, um, Alonja Reyna Who's a celebrity makeup artist and we will be doing a Conversation about inner and outer beauty And I'm always excited to add Something new and creative so we'll have Ashundra Bernard who's the co-founder of Phenomenal Girl Which is a pageant uh, Based in Atlanta And we'll be using some pageant techniques which is something Different that I've never done before uh, in helping girls build confidence. So taking some of the things that we typically do, some of our Toastmasters exercises and other things that we do with the girls. So using pageant techniques for the first time. So I'm really excited. We got a, a fun activity together where we're going to create a mock pageant for the girls to display some different things and really push them uh, into really maximizing their potential and overall becoming more confident. And as and we'll as always, we'll have a panel of men there as well to be able to discuss uh the girls can discuss with with some men things they may not be able to talk to their dads about so it's going to be an empowering fun feel iron beauty experience so you still have a few days to register so if you know somebody in the Atlanta area uh parents or even young people listening you know people in the Atlanta area let them know about this event you can get more information by going to conferences queen atl.eventbrite.com it's again August 6th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and it's open to girls 13 to 18 years of age and it is absolutely free and all the girls get our i am beauty affirmation t-shirts which we actually ordered them in a special color just for atlanta so i'm so excited to uh, to share that with them i'm really delighted uh, this evening to have with us uh, two dynamic women who are also successful lawyers on the air with me tonight adiola uh, is a real estate attorney in New York City. She's the co founder of the Avant Garde Network, a networking group for top level professionals of color focused on entrepreneurship, career advancement, and civic engagement. She's also the real estate chair, the real estate committee, chair of the real estate committee, excuse me, with the Metropolitan Black. Bar Association, an active member of the New York Bar Association the Council of Urban Real Estate and also Delta Sigma Theta Sorority I don't know how I feel about that part but <laughs> Adiola is a recipient of several awards including the E. Randolph Williams Award for Pro Bono Service and New York State Bar Association's Empire State Council Award she's a graduate of Spelman College and got her JED with a specialization in international legal affairs from Cornell Law School we, we also have with us Jennifer Swain I hope I pronounced that correctly is an attorney who is passionate about proving opportunities for youth low-income families, and people of color. She currently serves as general counsel and chief compliance officer at Brooklyn Community Services, the largest social service agency in Brooklyn. Prior to this role, she was an engagement manager at the Education Delivery Institute and also served as a staff attorney in the health justice program at New York Lawyers for the Public Interest. She has participated in various boards, including As the board chair, Phalasema, I hope I pronounced that right, elementary school in Brooklyn, and has volunteered for numerous nonprofit organizations. She has a JD from New York Law School and a Bachelor of Arts in the University of Michigan. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So how are you both doing this evening? Can you believe that it's already August 1st? Like, where has the summer gone?
0: I I ask myself that every month.
1: (laughs) Same here. I'm like, I can't believe that we literally have five more months of the year. So I've been saying uh all, y- all year that I was I was supposed to be a certain weight by now. So now I have five months to really uh uh work on my New Year's resolutions, things that I would have hoped that would have been done already by now. Uh but I noticed that both of you are from Oakland. Do y'all know each other? No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that does, that I just thought that was such a huge coincidence. You're both from Oakland and both now in New York. Are you both living in Harlem? I still Yes, to actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So clearly, the two of you need to get each other's information and uh, right. meet if you haven't because you're both. <laughs> you probably went to the same high school or something and didn't even know it. Uh, <laughs> so crazy. So crazy. So, what inspired you both to want to go into the legal profession and become an attorney?
0: Sure. This is Jennifer. I'll start. I, um, well, you know, my reasons actually tie into my upbringing in Oakland. Um, I'm the first in my family to go to college and growing up, I just recognized that, you know, there always weren't the same opportunities, whether in education, whether in employment and so forth. And so from a very young age, I vowed that I wanted to use the law as a tool to empower communities that could sometimes be marginalized. And so I set off on that mission. Um, I think I was probably in about maybe eighth grade. Um, I was reading about Thurgood Marshall, other civil rights activists. And Initially, I thought I wanted to be a civil rights attorney doing litigation, and since being in the law, I realized that the law is much broader than that. But that was where it all began.
1: Mm. Okay, okay. Adiola. Adiola.
2: Yeah. So, what's That's interesting what is um, I think similar, but not exactly the same. Like the reason why I wanted to become a lawyer um, after I decided to be a doctor. Full disclosure. Um, as I felt that being a lawyer would actually allow me to have a, um, significant impact on my community. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt that, you know, that it's important. So that's, that, I think that's it in a nutshell, really.
1: Hmm. So with all of the recent cases that have been happening as an African American woman, I mean, what has been, um. In, in wanting to use your for profession to make an impact in the community, I guess what has been your reaction to? I guess we can immediately jump in. Most recently, with the Freddie Gray case, with the Freddie Gray case, and the charges being dropped against the uh, three Baltimore officers who were accused, and again, we have another black man dead with uh, no one that is going to uh, actually be punished for it. Um, so I, I just just wanted to get just your general uh, feelings about some of the things that have been going on, I guess, from, from an attorney's perspective.
2: I mean, this is Adeola. Um I can definitely say that, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's horrible. I think mm-hmm. what's interesting about, you know, the law is a lot of attorneys understand how the process works. And there are a lot of things um, that are within the law that make things Um, inherently unfair. And so um, one example would be, you know, my perspective on the law is simply this. The law itself is unbiased, right? It's straight, black and white, really. However, it's the implementation of those laws that's where it goes wrong. And if we're not a part of the policy, not if we're not a part of the people that create the policies and implement the policies, and even, and, and that's not even only from the the policy standpoint, but also from the serving on jury standpoint, our communities are going to be affected. Because when you, like I've gone to jury duty before, I wasn't selected. I'm sure I know why, but um, mm-hmm. probably more so because I'm a lawyer, if anything. But um you rarely see people of color serve on jury duty. Hmm. And, it, and, and that's a part of it. So if we're not, I mean, the, the purpose of jury duty is for you to be um, judged by your peers, right? But if you go into our communities and we're not serving on the juries, we cannot expect for those outcomes to come out in our favor because at the end of the day, we have a different perspective and juries have a lot of power. Juries dictate, especially this is a very important word, a word called reasonable, reasonable standards. And that reasonable standard really is based on the people that are in that jury box. So reasonable in our communities might be different than reasonable in another community. But if we are not a part of that process, we don't get to dictate that outcome. I mean, Mm -hmm. and this is aside from all of the this is aside from institutionalized racism. I I'm, I'm separating the two cuz institutionalized racism that's a that's a whole different aspect. But there are places within our our uh, legal system where as a community we can um, change things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll I'll just add, you know, I obviously was very disappointed with the outcome of you know, these prosecutions and you know, but i I was not surprised. Um, you know, we have cases where there have been no convictions in um, shooting deaths. and in this case, you have a situation where there's not a shooting death. Um, you know, and so the when you think about the way that a jury can look at what's happening and you think about you know the idea that this man was injured in the back of a van you know, can we say that there's fault there? I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get into the minds of the jurors in the um, conviction of the, or the indictment of the first officer, um, because I know that some of the other officers um, chose bench trials where only the judge um, was adjudicating the case. Um, And so in this instance, it's just it's even that much more difficult when you think about the fact that there are cases where there have been um, you know even more at play in that regard and there's still been no conviction Um, and I also want to touch on Adiola's point about jurors there's actually a lot of research about how black people who could potentially be jurors are excluded at higher rates um, for a number of reasons Um, sometimes reasons that make sense in terms of what the attorneys are articulating, but a lot of times there is not a rational reason for excluding those particular jurors. So um, it's very disappointing um, and, and not inspiring when we think about the number of cases like these that have come up over the past several years in terms of what we're capturing on video. Anyway, these cases have been coming up for a very, very long time, but.
1: So in really digging deeper into the conversation around the juries, for those that may not understand the process of how people are selected, you know, we know that there is some discretion by the lawyers that they kind of handpick their juries. But, I mean, what is over that process to really, I guess, make ensure that it's fair,
2: um, well, really it's, really, it's the judge, actually. Um, the way the overall jury pool is selected is, one, typically, um, you have to be registered to vote. That's like the number one way that you will get selected for a jury. If they do not have your information, if you are not registered to vote, it is highly unlikely that you would be selected for jury duty, um, which is why we have to be very uh, cognizant about rules that are set up in our, in, our, um, in our society that take away people's rights to vote. That's one. Then two, by the time you get to the jury, um, by the time you're in the pool, then it's really kind of the judge overseeing um, a lot of that. And there's back and forth talk between the lawyers. So if you want to talk about oversight, the only real oversight that you have as a citizen would be, one, to make sure that you are, again, voting. mm mm-hmm for these judges that are standing before these juries. Um, and two, also uh, supporting organizations such as uh, Legal, Defe- Legal Defense Fund, NAACP, um, Legal Aid Society. Uh, there, and there's a lot, there's actually a lot of them that they can't necessarily oversee, but when things go wrong, they typically figure out a way to step in. This is usually after the case has already been adjudicated, but that's really, I think, the only type of oversight that, that we can really have.
0: Hmm. So also, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, just one more point to add. There's also peremptory strikes and that permits the attorneys, whether the defense attorney or the prosecuting attorney to strike jurors without cause and in some cases, you'll see that black people are struck from poten- potential service on juries at a much higher rate. There's an organization called the Equal Justice Initiative that has done a lot of research on this and actually has challenged this um, in courts um, in a number of their cases um, that they've had. So that's just another area where this comes into play, and there's not even necessarily a reason that's articulated.
1: Mm. So initially when I asked the question, I mean, pretty much um, both of you kind of alluded to the fact that, that this result, you weren't surprised about it. And I just have to ask, like, why is it that you're not surprised about this and that this has almost become the norm? I
2: think, you know, as lawyers, as you go through law school, you see cases, you, you, you see that, you know, A plus B equals C every single time. And Not only that, but the law itself is, it's, it's pretty tricky. And so, you know, when you don't, when there's, the thing is, there's certain elements have to be met. And when you don't have enough evidence, it's hard to be able to pull a case like this together. But again, in the event that there is a jury, typically you, you would have an idea. You can, you can pretty much tell whether it's going to, it's going to happen or not, unfortunately.
0: Mm.
2: And this is nothing recent. This is nothing recent. This has been going on for a long time within our communities.
0: Yeah. I was going to say history is the, <laughs> the biggest reason. I mean, when you you look at the number of cases that have come up just in the past couple of years where there has been actual video evidence, um, you know, undisputed evidence and there aren't any convictions, um, let alone cases where you don't have the video evidence and it's, it's this person's word or the officer's word against someone who's been murdered, um, you know, and going back to what Adiola said about that what's reasonable, people on juries may find it reasonable, you know, that an officer feared for his life. It feeds into that larger narrative about who black people are and who we are not, um, you know we're criminal or we're this or we're that, all these negative stereotypes that come into play. And so you see history repeating itself, even in a place where we have video evidence. So it it just, it just seems like for me, I mean, excuse me from
1: coming from a different world and having an accounting background and that, you know, in accounting you have like a four eye rule and that there's, there's checks and balances and that there's, you know, always a way, because when I, when I think of the jury process, if an accountant, that there would never be a situation if like an accounting were putting, putting together this process where there's, uh one uh, a group of people or a person that's actually making this decision. So if there are if we if we're clear that there are stereotypes, it seems like we would be screening those that are on the jury for um these negative stereotypes that they may have cuz these are ultimately affecting the outcomes. So it's I'm 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 a little I guess, uh, blown away right now at the fact that like, there isn't any check in place to, to, to like, uh, you know, really be able to spot whether or not people are really going to be able to be objective.
0: Exactly. And, you know, when you think about some of the officers in these cases, you know, they're, the first thing that you, you've heard them articulate is, oh, I thought this person had a gun. I feared for my life. I thought I was in danger And the unfortunate thing is it's not only the officer that, you know, sometimes has these preconceived notions in these cases. And when these are people that sit on juries or people that are otherwise in the courtroom, you can see how you have a situation where that manifests in in what we see happening with the outcomes. Um, So it's, it's unfortunate. And I wish there were a better way to get at that, you know, essentially what's in people's hearts and minds, but, um, you know, it, it it's proven difficult. Hmm. Right. And, and, and what's interesting,
2: um, I don't know if you've ever heard about this case. It was huge. Um, in New York city, I was, I was barely born it's in 1984, it's a, a case called gets, which we all as lawyers learn. Um, and essentially what happened in that case was there were four young black men on a subway and there was a white man on the subway as well and he said that he feared for his life. Now mind you, he now he's not a police officer, but he knows how to use a gun. He shot five shots and killed them all. Wow, and the last the last young man played dead and he went over and noticed that he was not dead and shot him. And the jury said that it was re- that it was reasonable that he feared for his life. Now mind you, This is someone who has a gun in his possession and knows how to shoot his gun. This is not an amateur. And Mm -hmm. even in that case, and that was a huge case in 1984, even then the jury said that they thought it was reasonable for someone who knows how to shoot a gun, practically like a police officer, if not better, reasonably fear for his life because four black teenagers were on the, on the train and they were there all together at night. So that's the kind of mentality that people are 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 dealing with, and I think um, I think only one of them ended up surviving. Actually, but um, at the end of the day, the judge, i mean, the, the jury—said it was reasonable. It doesn't sound reasonable to me. It doesn't sound mm-hmm. reasonable to you, but the peop- it was reasonable to the people on, on the jury, and that's what matters.
0: Mm.
1: So, uh, were you going to say anything, Jennifer? Before I. Oh no, go ahead. <laughs> so I mean okay. So then what do we do? Because I mean we've we've I mean for the past couple of weeks I have been, I've had many people and I've had some people on for Black Lives Matter and the conversation has been we need to be more organized and be more strategic in our approach to really bringing some kind of change, and you know, one of the things has come up is having people around the table like yourselves that have legal, back, legal backgrounds to be able to change these processes, so that um, in, in, we'd hope that we 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 come to more positive outcomes uh, in these in these cases. So, I mean. What do you feel like needs to be done from your perspective, you know, from coming from a law lens? I mean, my, my perspective, this is Adiola, I think,
2: it's, I think we just need to hit, hit it at all angles. I think that something that we um, do well in our community is appointing people to do stuff and then taking a step back. And the reality is everybody has work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of what, regardless of what, even what your small piece is, want, people need to vote. People need to educate their, themselves about not only the national elections, but the local elections. Because it's the local elections that really affect your day to day. And then when people are not voting in a way that, that is in line with our policy, we got to vote them out. This loyal, loyalist politics is not working for us. And I, let me say this before I say my comment. I am a Democrat. But what I do notice is the communities where the majority of black men are going to jail are democratic cities. So there must, there's something else that's going on within those communities and within our communities that are really affecting us and we're turning a blind eye to it. So I would say voting and I would say really, really getting involved And in what does that mean? That doesn't mean that everybody has to lead every organization, but what it doesn't mean that everyone needs to carry a, uh, uh, that burden instead of saying, okay, well, we have Barack Obama, so we're just going to go and, and, and mind our business. That type of, that doesn't work. So I think voting is number one, paying attention to the policies that people actually vote, checking like fact checking. Um, and clearly I think there's organizations that already do that legwork. There's a the national action network. There's the NAACP. There are a lot of organizations that do that legwork already. We just have to pay attention Mm-hmm. Um, and then also creating economic empowerment within our communities, I think, is important. You know, you don't have to buy shea butter from Target all the time. Like, buy it from the guy on One Twenty Fifth Street One Twenty Fifth Street once in a while. You know, mm-hmm. so because what ends up happening is we could that also allows us to also create more jobs within our communities because children are getting involved in gangs and things like that because they don't feel like they have any other way. If you stand on the street here in Harlem and you ask some kids from high school what they're doing, they'll tell you they don't have they don't have a job. They're competing with with adults work to get a job at McDonalds. But like it's ridiculous. And so we have to we have to hit it from like the top down and the
0: bottom up, as far as I'm concerned. Mm, fair point. Yeah. So I actually do get my shea butter from 125th, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, So I'll I'll say a few things. Number one, and this isn't a a legal strategy, but I think narrative is so important. And what do I mean by that? I mean, us really being at the helm and taking charge of the stories and the, the remembering of our history. Um, You know, we are facing a lot in our present moment. How will it be remembered? You know, what are our children going to say about what's happening in these times? And so making sure, you know, to challenge some of those dominant narratives that are told. Um, You know, this goes back to the idea of the, the reasonable person and what the reasonable person might fear. You know, challenging that. Well, why is that considered reasonable? Actually, you know... Black people are no more to commit certain crimes than other people. So why is it, you know, reasonable in this instance and not in that instance? So just really being in charge of the stories that get told about us and the things that we face. Um, you know, challenging the narratives that come out, you know, that are not true or that are distorted. Um mm-hmm. And using every opportunity to do so, forums like this, you know, social media, um, you know, writing, speaking, whatever it is, using all forms to do that. I think the other thing that has to be done is there needs to be a focus on implementation. So you know, of course, we we need to vote. You know, it, it's not an every four year thing. We all know there's there's state and local elections, and those are key. But also holding politicians feet to the fire, you know, making sure we don't want something that sounds good on paper, you know, something that's going to sit on a shelf and and collect us. We want to make sure it's implemented well and it actually serves the people that it's meant to serve. I mean, there's, there's countless policies and laws that are written. And then when we see how they operate, they actually do a disservice or, or no service at all. So I think, you know, going back to Having that understanding of, of what the law or policy entails, and making sure that it's implemented in a way that's good for um, you know for our people, and then I think the last thing, um, well, not the last thing. There are a number of different things to be done, but I think something else that's really important is the idea of staying the course. And I say that, and I you know I think about myself. I know I have so many moments where I think about how slow. Change can be, and I get frustrated. And you know, sometimes it feels like I'm spinning my wheels. It feels like as as far as we've come, we've not, you know, moved forward too much. Um, you know, so I I get frustrated, and I and I'm subject to those feelings. But I think it's so important to just remember that that change comes over time, and it doesn't mean that we need to you know just necessarily wait for change and sit back and and allow it to happen but it means thinking about how we progress through time you know I'm not doing the same things that I was doing as at the age of 22 when it comes to activism so thinking about what activism looks like for me now as someone you know in my early 30s as an attorney and constantly reflecting on that so that I you know don't get so frustrated that I don't do anything, but I also feel like I'm making some progress because I'm not doing the same things that I was doing, you know, that served me and served the community at a certain point in time. So just reflecting on that. Um, and it, it's something I've been reflecting on, you know, as I was listening to the calls over the last couple weeks where you had the conversations with men. Um, so that, that's been helpful. Um, so I would say those are the, some key things for us to do.
1: So that actually created a great segue for me to pivot a little bit, uh, because one of the things that you said was staying the course and that change comes over time. So uh, the Democratic National Convention was last week. Hillary Clinton was nominated the first female presidential nominee of a major party. Just want to get your initial thoughts as to what did that moment mean for you, if anything?
0: So I, I think, you know, it it was an exciting moment. Um, you know, once again, we're seeing history be made. Um, you know, it's, it's a different environment for little girls than the environment I grew up in in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. So that's, of course, to be celebrated. Um, but I do remain wary because as a woman of color... You know certain gains for white women don't necessarily translate into the same gains for me as a woman of color so I guess I would describe my feelings as excitement with trepidation um, be because of that, you know, we Women of color You know are at the intersection of of race and gender and and that has played out in a number of different ways for us over time
1: so um I, I know you probably uh, want to jump in at um, Adeola but she actually uh, said exactly what I wanted her to because the second part of what I wanted to say was uh, if we recall eight years ago when Barack Obama was elected there was this sense of like pride and joy and there isn't the same thing for Hillary Clinton that we don't all seem to relate to her. I mean, black women and even white women that I, I, there was just this, this air of negativity over. And I get that, you know, this is um, a huge election. I mean, we have this whole Trump factor and uh, you know, no one, people have are questioning um, Hillary's uh, you know, uh, you know, can we really trust her? Uh, but I did get this sense that it wasn't the same and trying to understand why, because there was this sense of hope when president Obama was elected, but there isn't that same hope, um, for Hillary now that we have a a woman nominee and I, 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 just, um, was shocked at that and, and just wanted to, to kind of get your opinion on, um, you know, you started hitting, hitting at it, Jennifer, but I uh, just kind of wanted to really dig more into that as to why is there such a difference?
2: Yeah. Well, I oh. oh, I was going to jump in and, but if you want to go,
0: I'll, I just briefly, I was going to say, I, you know, some of it could be Hillary herself and, you know, for me, I still remember back in 2008 when, you know, the political climate was very negative. And I remember some of that, you know, the coded racial rhetoric that was used by Hillary Clinton. So that was something else that stuck out to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, my perspective, well, you know,
2: I'm, I'm clearly voting for Hillary, but I think the reality is we're at a different Point in time, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a critical factor as to how people feel. And not only that, but I mean, I'm voting for Hillary, but the the campaign message, whoever's on the marketing, is not really doing a good job. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm just being, I'm just gonna put it all out there. You Mm know, I, you know, Obama had hope, change. Like we know, we know where we're going. We're going for hope. We're going for change. And I think for us, for people of color, year after year. And I think, uh, you know, and I love the president, but I think, you know, two, his reaction a little bit slow sometimes to our issues that have been compounding year over year that, mind you, we have known have been happening, but this time it has been recorded. So every other day, it's a new thing. So what is there for us to get excited about? And I think that that's a part of it. Like, we're, okay, we're like, okay, wait, if the black president can't do it, you know, Hillary, lo- we love you, but, you know, we're going to need to see things happen. And quite frankly, I do think that having someone like Hillary, even though people aren't feeling it now, are act- is actually going to be in our benefit because, because it's Hillary, our community is going to be watching. Mm-hmm. And we are, and no, real talk. And we're mm-hmm. going to say something every single time. There's been times where we may not have agreed with the president on his timing. But Hillary's not going to have any choice. She's going to have to have the hot sauce in her bag. She's going to have to have the choir. She's going to have to play dominoes. All the things <laughs> that, you know, all the <laughs> strategies that she uses up to appease mm-hmm. us while she is running, she's going to have to continue to do to appease us while she's in office to get reelected. Mm. If she gets elected the first time. And I think, I mean, not only just from the Democratic side, but the Republican side is is one hundred percent ridiculous. <laughs> so, no, and, and and really, so because of that, it's. I mean, I think it's even hard to even focus on the issues. I think that's one of the first things that we kind of have to have to get out of the way. It's like, okay, yeah, like it's hard to get excited right now because you have, you know, thirty thousand people city by city uh, that are that are racist i mean i don't even know what, what other word i could really use mm. you know and while i'm not a fan of uh donald trump i think i'm very excited that he's running i'm very excited that he's actually the candidate for the republican party because he is only bringing out what we have been complaining about for the past how many years in america mm-hmm. people told us after we're, we're post-racial does that look like post-racial behavior to you none of it None of, none of it is that. But, again, it's hard to be excited because, you know, we're just cringing at the fact that next week we're going to see it at the videotape. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Anything? Yeah. I mean, I I agree with what Adiola has said and, um, you know, let me make clear, I'm definitely not voting for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, it, it's absolutely right that he, is, in a way, he's called the, the bluff of a lot of people who claim that racism doesn't exist anymore <laughs> and, you know, we are post-racial. And not only that, he, I mean, you know, there was that kind of sentiment with the Tea Party, but he's seemingly brought out the worst of it, um, you know, and, and he, even in his rhetoric, is unapologetic, and it, it's encouraged other people who, who, you know, would otherwise sit on the sidelines and maybe be politically correct with, with their true feelings, um, you know, they're they're out in full force. And, you know, when you have a situation where a number of, you know, Republican leaders are not only denouncing him, but you know, pledging their support for the Democratic candidate. I mean, that speaks volumes. And particularly Hillary, um, you know, who is considered the establishment candidate. Um, you know, with with the idea of the Clintons being back in the White House, and, and you have Republicans that are still, you know, not in support of their nominee. That says volumes.
1: Mm. Yeah, it really, it really does speak volumes up. I'm shocked more and more every day of all of the new people that are coming out that are Republican and many of these different publications that are seeing they're voting Democratic this year. So it's um, this is this election is exciting in a very different way because it's um, really calling um, many people forward that I don't think otherwise um, would be so involved in in politics because I know myself, I've been glued to the TV every night and even had my boyfriend um, glued to just really what's going on because I'm really shocked that when Donald Trump first came, uh, you know, first announced that he was running for president, I mean, I thought it was a joke. And it's the fact that we've gotten this far and we're post the RNC, every time something comes on, I'm just like really in amazement of where we are. How far I thought we were, but how far we aren't. Uh, And it's um, uh, racism, it's... you know, you kind of wonder, like, it, it, to, to a degree, like, where has it been for the past couple of years that now it's, like, so, like, in your face? I don't know if you've seen, today there was a new headline with Miss Teen USA um, was using the N-word on twi- Twitter, and it's now because it's something that everyone's, like, looking for, everyone is, like, being exposed, and it's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's it's you know it's, it's really a, something to look at that um you know that r- racism really is 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 so prevalent now, um in 2016. Um, so last week at the DNC there were a lot of um black women in. Positions from a DNC chair to uh, chair of the Democratic Party, uh, the secretary, uh, and a lot of conversation that I was seeing on Facebook wondering what is Hillary in office? And I think uh, I think, Jennifer, you kind of mentioned it earlier on when we started talking about Hillary. um, What is Hillary in office actually going to mean for black women? And I was optimistic in seeing uh, the presence uh, during the DNC, but just wanted to know what what you all think. Uh, you know, I've been hearing different people saying, you know, well, if she has two black women in her cabinet, then we know we're doing good. So, I mean, what does, what would you hope to see for Hillary and want us, to want her to do um, for us? So I, so I guess so that we can relate to her and can feel that that too is possible for us as well, since there seems to be this distance. Um, well,
2: I think I, I thought it was I thought it was nice that there were a lot of you know black women that were involved in what was going on in, in the DNC after um, previous said scandal. But I don't want I'm not interested in seeing women of color out there as addressing. You mm-hmm. know I think it's going to be very critical. And quite frankly, it's really not just Hillary. It's the Democratic Party needs to do better at recruiting. And I will use the r- word recruit recruiting women of color to participate in the political process and it's not that black women do not want to participate black women are running all over the nation but when they raise money they're not getting it
1: and Mm -hmm. it's clear
2: that uh, there's a lot of money that i mean clearly there's not necessarily a whole lot of money within our communities but the democratic party they have the money is there and they Mm -hmm. should be helping black women when they're running for positions in the party because clearly they're doing the work so i thought it was nice you know you know after you know i thought it was nice after you know said person had to step down yeah,
0: um, yeah but yeah. what about
2: bef- what about before then Th- that's just my perspective
0: yeah i i thought it was really nice i mean it it certainly stood in stark contrast to you know the the, the various R- photographs yeah. from the, from the rnc um but i you know beyond <laughs> people of color in key positions, you know, whether it's through the DNC, whether it's in her cabinet, I think the real question is what, what happens and how does, you know, this translate into policies that impact women of color, people of color, you know, how does that make it down to mainstream USA? You know, it, it's, it's one thing to have a few individuals in your cabinet and that's great and it's certainly celebrated. Um, but, but beyond that, you know, I, I want to see something real. I want to see something that reaches all levels, um, you know, through policy implementation as well. Quick, oh,
2: oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, actually, and with that being said, also within our communities, when Black women run, we also need to support them instead of uh, uh, waving that we need to let men lead flag. We need to put that flag down.
0: Mm-hmm
1: very 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 true question quickly mothers of the movement uh during the dnc they had mothers of victims killed by uh black mothers of victims killed by gun violence and there was a little bit of conversation uh, on social media about uh whether or not these grieving mothers were exploited or is this was just another way of you know to pander to get to the black vote? curious to know pandering or not like how did you feel that uh that was authentic i
2: i felt like it was i mean i mean they were the ones standing there so i felt like it was as authentic as it's going to get but again though i think it i mean millions of people were watching it so not only democrats and republicans so it was something that people could not ignore and I felt, I, I felt that it was a, a, whoever came up with it, I felt it was a great idea to get these stories out on a national stage and really humanize what this is like. Because in order to treat Black people in the way that people do, they have to dehumanize them. But to hear stories from mothers just talking about their children, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much more sentimental and just feeling. I mean, through the screen, you can feel how they're feeling. And it's not just for us because it's people of color. We we know that. That happens in our communities all the time. But for everyone else who may not know who they are or who may not have who are who are some of them trying to really ignore or minimize these stories, I think it was I thought it was a great idea, I thought it was a great platform and I thought it was appropriate for the Democratic Party to do it because they need our votes to win.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was authentic and I, you know, appreciated the opportunity to see them there to have this platform and this space to tell their stories. Um, You know, we we had women who have lost children, um, you know, in in different ways, some at the hands of police, some at the hands of, you know, just the common citizen um, acting on stereotypes and so forth. And so it, it was just a beautiful moment to to see their raw emotion, their vulnerability. And, you know, so I'd, I was glad to witness that. I will say, you know, my question is, what happens next? You know, when, when the crowd has left and the lights are off and, you know, we've, we've got to get back to work, what does that mean? What is that going to look like? Um, and, you know, I think that's where we see... You know how authentic it was in terms of it being more than you know just a a, a kind of platform maneuver, um, you know, to to reach a certain audience. Um, you know, and the other thing that I thought about too, and I, I know there was some critique about this. On the same stage, Bill Clinton gave his speech, and you know when he did reference African Americans, he put the onus on African Americans and and some of some victims, so to speak, about what they need to do in terms of reaching out to the police. So it, it's just a matter of making sure it goes beyond this stage and it actually means something in, in our everyday lives. So
1: I can't believe this show goes so fast. we got about three minutes left and I just want to get your uh, opinion quickly. So like 30 seconds or less, what would you say to supporter, Bernie Sanders supporters who say that they're skipping this election, that they're not voting?
0: We cannot have Donald Trump as president, period. <laughs> I mean, there's so, so much at stake that, you know, my, my 30 seconds can't do it justice. I mean, one, one of the big questions is Supreme Court nominees. I mean, I can only imagine who Donald Trump would appoint, um, you know, and how they might carry on the, the views that he's expressed. So we cannot have a Donald Trump president. <laughs>
2: Okay. I, I think what I would say is for, and it's not all Bernie people, but for those who are adamant in terms of Bernie or bust, it would be, um, you know, you're, you're living in a house and, uh, you know, it's an ugly house. You don't like the house, but you need, the house needs a lot of work. It needs a whole lot of work. But the options are you either fix what you can day by day, little by little with this house, even though you don't like it or you can burn the house down. <laughs> so you either have a place to live and lay your head, you don't like it, you know, things are kind of falling apart, things need to be done, you know, toilets leaking, whatever, you can fix it, you have a place to live, you can try to make it work or you burn it all down. Mm. And if you want a place to live, we suggest that you live in the house that you don't like. And I mean quite frankly, that's the democratic process. You don't always get to say, "Hey, we're just going to buck the system." We have to the Democrat, Democrats have acknowledged. Matter of fact, even Republicans have acknowledged that the system is broken. Yeah. So, but we have to work with what we have, and I think you know because most independent and that, and and really that's why they're independents, right? Independents have already ha- they already have issues with the party even before Hillary. So, uh, voting for Hillary would be the way to go.
1: <laughs> well, uh, as you all that are listening can uh, see, we got to vote. This is not an election that anyone can be skipping. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining us tonight on the show. I definitely would love to have you both back in the future. Uh, to those listening, if you joined us late, you can catch the full show on iheartradio.com or I also go to com to find out all the different things that we have coming up you can join us next week same place same time and please tell somebody about the show and I'll leave you this week in the words of our president don't boo me don't complain vote make this a great week with peace and love until next Monday be beauty